peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Here we are together again. So glad you swung by to be a part of this wonderful confluence of sports and race. We're so glad that Sirius XM is committed to this topic, this dynamic, these two men. Jason Jackson here, Kirk Morrison there. Kirk, how are you this week, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm uh, finally recovering from a very long weekend <laughs> of newly drafted players from the collegiate ranks to now the National Football League. So it's one of those weekends that you can't wait for it to get here, mm -hmm. the NFL draft. You can't wait for it to get here, Jax. And then by the time it's like started after day one, you're like, you still got that excitement day two. But about midway through day three, you're like, man, when is this over? <laughs> Before we get into a couple of topics, and, and we should note that uh, a little bit later in the program, we'll visit with uh, former college basketball coach, uh, current analyst for CBS Sports, Chris Walker. He's got a great book called The Elephant Room. It's in our wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, it's about <laughs> the, the in-depth, ingrained imbalance and, and lack of equality in, in our world of sports. Uh, we'll get deeper into that with him a little bit later. And then a little bit further down the line, we'll stay in the college ranks because there's been some feeling radiating out of historically black university uh, universities and colleges uh, about that draft you were just talking about. Yeah. And their feeling uh, about where their student athletes uh, fit in this equation. And I, I, wanna, I can't wait to have that conversation. It's a, there's a little bit of a tightrope there. I want to I make sure that we're on. We, we're allowed to have a net, but, but <laughs> we're going to get into it. But yeah. first, a little bit more. Uh, about the draft, and this one's this one's going to be interesting with you and I, uh, because there is this overall feeling uh, that it's so critical have this in depth look at everything that's happening during the draft. I mean, it's hours upon hours upon hours of coverage, right. so it's nice to be able to pop inside everybody's crib and see how they get down. I mean, last year we were really in their crib, but I'm talking right. about the, <laughs> the actual workspace at the facility. And you see, particularly in those early rounds, a lot of joy, a lot of hard work right. always goes into the preparation, the analysis, uh, the, the, the the guessing part of this. Let's, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. if, if it's a right fit and have all the right people been spoken to. There's been criticism over the years, Kirk, of, of your league's uh, intellectual analysis, right? With the Wonderlick and, and if it's appropriate and on point. Um, and, and I think that's probably an ongoing challenge because Correct. does some of that create dynamics that aren't even necessary? Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, but we're talking about now what we're seeing when we're seeing the high fives and the high level conversations and folks on the phone and the room looking extremely similar. And what I mean by that is just not really diverse. We've seen um, some people of color. We've seen some women. Um, obviously, the NFL is not going to be representative of society. It's just not. 
I'm not, right. I'm not willing to say that it's going to be, but in its progress, where do you think it is? Like, is there a lot of road to hoe? Is there, is there, do you feel good about the leadership that you're seeing in these rooms? What's, what's your gut first feeling? Well, I think my, my, my first feeling is that we're still not where we need to be. Okay. And that's the number one. We're not where we need to be. Um, has there been movement? Yes. We're, you know, they were hiring the hiring of two um, black general managers this year. Terry Fontenot with the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Brad Holmes with the Detroit Lions. So you, you, you saw that part of it of that. OK, there has been movement. But then there is the part where when you're watching the draft and they you know, pan a picture of each specific team's war room, right? The, the room in which they draft, where the boards are at, and you look at the excitement, and when they pan that, that, that camera shot there, then you start to look around, it's like, wow, is this uh, a, a governor senate meeting? <laughs> is this Congress? <laughs> is, this, mm-hmm. is this something totally? Because a lot of the guys in those rooms look very similar, and you don't see that diverse diversity that you want to see especially in a sport like the NFL that has so much diversity. Really, partly, partly it's more African-American than it is any other race. Mm-hmm. So it's just that always that, 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 that notion of, wow, the, the players, African-American players make up the NFL, but yet when it comes to the decision makers, they're not the ones in the room. And I think that was pointed out you know, these last, this past weekend, it's been like that before. Now, the NFL has tried to fix this, right? They've implemented a rule and they've allowed now teams that if uh, you groom candidates for these roles, that you will be rewarded. Now, there's a couple teams that got rewarded for this, Jax. Um, they got, you know, some, some draft picks. Um, the Rams were one of them because they groomed Holmes and he got taken away by the Detroit Lions. So the Rams were rewarded with the pick. So is it an olive branch? Yes. But at the same time, there needs to be more done. There needs to be more done in having just diversity in that room. And a lot of it does come with the ownership because this is the first time that we see some of these owners too, Jax. They're on, they're, they're on these broadcasts. You know, they're, they're talking to the players when they're drafted. But yet you look around the rest of the room and it doesn't symbolize, honestly, what I've seen when I walked into my NFL locker room, like mm-hmm. the NFL locker room versus the talent evaluators and general managers is totally different. I think they should put a side by side team photo and locker room <laughs> versus team coaches and evaluators and managers. Cause it's totally different. Right. So here's my thing. Help me with this. Sure. Well, talk to me about these pools of individuals. And I'm not just saying, General manager, right? We're talking about personnel directors. We're talking about scouting um, directors and the whole premise. The reason why I have this hesitation is I like to take some of this responsibility on. And I'm, I'm immersed in young people trying to find their careers. I live across the street from the University of Miami. Right. I'm the father of a college graduate who's about to get a dual master's in business administration and sports management. Okay. Um, I have a high school senior that's about to go study um, PR and with, with a with a feel for an entertainment industry career coming. 
Um, my oldest could have picked anything. Yes. Anything. And I, 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 I'm not holding the rudder on that. But there's something about him that wants to be around college athletics. Um, maybe that's because I don't know what the real reason is. His mother's been in it her entire, uh, the majority of her adult career. But why isn't he gravitating toward, I mean, he had a path to possibly study high level management in the NBA just because mm -hmm. of my connection. Wasn't compelled to do it. So when I start, what my point is, is that what, who's in the, who's in the pool are, are there players that feel like they're banging on the door as they're making the move from the field. They don't want to coach, but they want to be a part of the game. And they're feeling that door locked. Do we need to start educating young people about the growing that has to occur, the path you have to get on to grow to that high level management? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at it both ways is what I'm trying to tell you. No, I think I saw a tweet about this a couple of days back, mm -hmm. how a lot of times you see a lot of former players who I believe are really qualified to make these decisions. And yet those guys aren't usually pushed to the forefront, right? Um, I, I can't speak for all, but I think in the NBA, a lot of times you do have a lot of good coaches and guys who have played the game and have become excellent coaches too as well. Um, in the NFL, not a lot of times you get a former player who becomes a head coach. That's just not what it is. It's the guys who started off in the, the lowest ranks and have worked their way up. Eventually, some become head coaches. We, 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 I'm not saying that all of them. We, we got some guys who have been players and become head coaches. But I think for the overall Jacks, it's been difficult for the former player to get into that room of big time evaluator and talent evaluator and general manager administration. So to me, it, it comes from someone who is outside the ranks. It comes from like some people will have a better opportunity because they won't be considered, oh, that's former player. You hear what I mean? Like a former player, they kind of put you in a box to where someone else can start at the ground level and work their way up and be in that situation, be in that room, do the hard work that gets you up there. And I'm starting to see that now with a couple of guys who, like I mentioned, who are now general managers, right? So we're yeah. starting to see that happening. Well, the player, would you, uh, just let's, let's play it this way with you. You were done, you had an idea, I'm, I'm making this all up, I'm not sure mm -hmm. this was your real mindset. <laughs> but let's just say Kirk Morrison's done, he hangs up his helmet and the Raiders go, cool, we want you to come back, we want you to come in here, we want you to come back home, um, I want you to be a scouting assistant. Mm. That's the challenge, right? Like it's, I was a high end, um, in the midst of the, 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 the rigors, my finger right. was in the dirt. And you want me to do what? <laughs> yeah. But it's the very first job that Andrew Perry had. Correct. Right? As right. the general manager, now the general manager, executive vice president Brown. of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Um, he moved up to pro scout. He then was, then he had to leave, right? And that sometimes you got to change organizations in mm -hmm. Cleveland. He's a vice president of, of, of player personnel. And then left there, went to Philly, and he's a little higher up. He's got all the football ops, and then Cleveland snatches him back. That's the part of it that I always wonder, where does the player believe they should be inserted? Some guys are fine. They'll, put, they'll start the grind from the bottom and go up. 
It's a lot of folks that are like, nah, I'm going to, you got to start me at a high level, high salary scenario. Some organizations will do that. Others won't. I'm, I'm, I'm not victim blaming. That's not what that no, 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 I do. Right. I'm wondering where is the right space? Where does the union need to partner? And I'm sure those programs are in place. Those things are starting to really churn positively for all the major unions of, hey, if you want to path into this, we've got a way. There's going to be some work. It may not be as glamorous, right? Yeah. But there, there are bridges there. And I just know that there's some brothers that are like, I ain't doing that. Yeah, I think even I go back, I, I'll, I'll put it in perspective to my broadcasting career. So when I retired from the National Football League, you know, obviously you make a certain kind of amount of money, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, the opportunity said, hey, we have an opportunity for you to do this show or this broadcast. Right. And so it's different for NFL because it's the, you know, the networks and then kind of the local stuff is a little yeah. more kind of accoutrement television around the team, right? Well, well they tell you, yeah, well, um, I say, hey, I want to be a broadcaster. Well, I didn't necessarily say it that way, Jack, but I wanted to be in the broadcast and I want to be a broadcaster, do football games. And sure, here you go. They start me up at the high school level. <laughs> but wait, wait, I'm in the NFL. Wait, wait, I just, yeah. I just retired. I've been doing NFL. Like, I, I've played in the league. Yeah, but you can start here. But I had to have that understanding that this is the way that the real world works. Yeah. Not a lot of times are yeah. they going to spoon feed you or give you everything right there, right away. You got to earn it. And I, I'm, I'm speaking on some, not all. Some guys aren't willing to put that type of work in because they feel like they already oh, passed Some it. don't have to. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, look, I, I wasn't Jerry Rice. I wasn't, I wasn't Tony Romo, okay? I, I understand I was that. Say, is Breeze about to <laughs> yeah. and, and do some, you know, Louisiana High School Football no, Athletic I, Association? No. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't paid many, right? I wasn't those right. types of guys, but I knew who I was. Mm. And I knew that I would have to work. But then on top of that, I felt that because of the color of my skin, too, that I had to work doubly, though. Mm -hmm. Because they're going to say, well, let's see, what, let's see if Kirk wants to really, does he really want this? So I got to work double, I felt, in the beginning yeah. to show that not only do I want it, I want this, I want it more than maybe the next guy who's doing it. Who was the last black player that got fast-tracked? The last one to get fast-tracked? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a blank. Uh, because we work it backwards. Let's work it backwards, right? Yes. So there's Breeze. Correct. Right? There's Olsen. Olsen, right. fast tracks, yeah. Romo, um, fast tracks. There's, there's Romo. Yep, fast tracks. Gonzalez, the last cat that got just pushed right to network? I think, but remember, it took some time. And I, he's had to work his way up because he was more doing, remember Oprah? He was doing the other stuff first, <laughs> right? He was, you know, Tony was being, was Tony Nate was doing direct? a bit everything. Was, was Burleson direct? No, Nate had to work too. Yeah. Nate had to work, had to grind. You know, Something and Nate else, was different. It? Yeah, he had so, to work. So now let's bring this over into the front office. Some people get tapped and some people don't, right? That's, that's how it is. And it's, are you willing to put in the work and the time? Yeah. See, the one I thing I've always... Conversation. Yeah. I, was, I was concerned that I was... I didn't want to be the old, like, you got to dig in there and you got to work from the bottom <laughs> and you got... Nah, nah, not everybody has to. But we know. But I want to make sure, though, that that 
the people of color and women and underrepresented individuals get yourself in the pool though. Yes. You can't stand outside pointing going, we don't get, where was your last resume? Yeah. Well, when was, when did you go to the last conference? When did we you just, reach out to team personnel or HR or, you know, say there's some things that are to be done. And then when those standard things are done, you, you've been knocking on that door and you can't get in. Here we come now. Now, now we're bringing her Calvary. It, it, just, it just takes someone to do outside of the book, go outside of the book, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing Major League Baseball hire women general managers, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing now opportunities for more minorities to get those high-level positions in the National Football League. And so now when you do have that, guess what, Jax? We'll see the talent. The success and the talent will show itself. I'm not saying that everyone who's minority going to be, is going to be successful. Look, it's, it's a difficult job to do. Trust me, everybody would love to do these jobs, but they are difficult to keep. So when there is success, make sure that we highlight that success, right? Yeah. You highlight a guy like Ozzie Newsome, who did it for a long, long time for oh, the Baltimore Ravens. At a, right? at a high level. At a high level. We have yeah. to highlight those, and hopefully it brings uh, some success to the next up-and-coming general manager. Let's take a quick break. A little bit later, we got to deal with some more draft stuff. <laughs> Coaches at historically black colleges and universities want to know why their players are not being picked. I'm glad I have an analyst here because we do have to talk about skill set. Yeah, we do. There is there is hierarchy. Obviously, those those power fives they're going first, right? And then those mid majors they're going next. But there are two conferences that I would consider a part of the the, the mid majors as it pertains to similar type players, you know, from the MAC, from the AAC, from, uh, does Conference USA still exist? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Conference USA still and, exist. And I yeah. think MAC and SWEAC, uh, MAC and uh, MEAC and MEAC SWAC coaches uh, have a point at that next level. Yes. We'll dive into it in just a little bit. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, this is a neat moment for us. I mean, we have these really cool uh, guests that come on and sometimes we have to draw the line to, to connect it to our space. Um, but this is a direct connect right here. The book is called The Elephant in Our Room. Uh, our next guest is Chris Walker. He is the author, former basketball coach, now a basketball analyst from CBS Sports, a direct centering piece on the cross-section of race and sports. When we come back, you're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. We continue here on Forward Progress. It's Morrison, it's Jackson, and we say hello to our first guest today, Chris Walker, former college basketball coach, now an analyst for CBS Sports, the author of The Elephant in Our Room. And Chris, this is just this is gold for us. <laughs> you, you've reached the cross-section of race and sports. And so Ooh. the fact that you're talking about an in-depth, real deep dive into the black experience in right. sports and it not always being magnificent uh, is something that we want to talk about. I, want to I always love where people find the title. For me, I always like to have the title first, right? right? right. Like I, I, that, that gets me going. The elephant in our room. Tell us about the imagery there and, and how you came up with it and where along the timeline uh, you came up with it. 
you know, and first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me, man. You guys uh, do a great job. And, you know, the funny thing is being a coach for 20 plus years and Kirk can attest to this, you know, being recruited, you know, even at the highest level in the uh, NFL, but being recruited as a high level athlete. You know, the imagery and the the things that you see and hear that when you become older, I'm sure Kirk can attest, wow, I can't believe that really happened right in front of me. And now that I'm older, that would never happen to my child or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you, you're just more, uh, uh, you have more sensory about the things that are happening around you in your community, uh, business-wise, et cetera, et cetera, in the education field. So uh, going through my walk and, and uh, through, through my, my odyssey, I, I say, wow. You know what? I've been doing this a long time. I don't like some of the things that are happening, but I'm participating in them. You know what I'm saying? In the recruiting process, you know, I'm the guy that they recruit to go into the quote unquote hood to pull the player out. But am I doing them a disservice as well? So then as you talk to kids and I'm huge into every kid or every parent looking at their child situation as a lottery situation just because they can make a layup or catch a football. You know, and they spend tons of money on going to AAU tournaments and seven on seven. Oh, don't wait. But spend, oh, <laughs> but, spend but, 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 but spend nothing on tutors. Don't see the value in education. No, don't go to PTA meetings, but they'll volunteer to be a coach for the team. So here we are. We're spending all our dollars in things that sometimes have a zero sum game and don't realize that, you know what? Uh, and, and, and again, I go back and forth from my own walk and I'm like man I went to Villanova a school that was again I love my experience there I played for Roller Massimino but a school that was 99.9% white when I was there <laughs> and not understanding what was going on and you know not knowing that because I was the basketball player certain things were afforded to me and had I did it all over again once I graduated I said you know what if I knew what I knew now when I left uh-huh. Houston Texas I'm not saying I wouldn't have loved basketball but maybe I would have been in finance and worked on Wall Street but that's not what was afforded was purported to me because at the end of the day, they were like, yo, you're a great basketball player. That's all you can do right now. So they don't really give you, I'm not saying they, but you don't really see other avenues. So when you say elephant in our room, yeah, I want the other cultures to know that, you know, there are some things that we're afraid to quote unquote talk about because it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, there's a situation where people in the African-American community, we need to talk about things too. You know, they have this thing where if you have a, a skin abrasion, you go to the store, you put topical cream on it to make it go away. That doesn't mean it's really gone away. You need to go take a blood test and find out why it's actually happening because it it's going to keep coming back. And that's what the elephant in our room is. Hey, you know what? You're right. There's a lot of things that affect us systemically, educationally, you know, media-wise, uh, you know, different things that keep happening over and over again that are misnomers. But what are we doing in our community? Are we afraid to talk about in our community that, hey, maybe we do spend too much time focusing on sports and we're over-dependent upon it? And some kids say, would I rather be Obama or would I rather be LeBron? I would hate to ask that question in our community. Would I rather be Obama or would I rather be Jay-Z? I would hate to ask that question. Not that there's anything wrong with being either, but at the same time, there are far more Obamas out there that we don't know about because the media, Jason and Kirk, don't tell us. They don't celebrate those guys. And the few guys that they do celebrate, and I don't want to besmirch any of those guys from rappers to athletes, but there are a lot of intelligent people out there that if kids knew, for instance, being in in broadcasting, I would bring this conversation up and people would get uncomfortable. Hey, why aren't there more black play-by-play guys? Why is it all analysts? You know what it is? Because black people are very visual and we don't see it as a vehicle, so we don't think we can do it. But there are a lot of kids out there, Jason, you would know this, that can easily do that. 
if given the opportunity, if they saw more people that look like us doing it. So the elephant in our room is not just the way other people may be treating us or seeing us, but it's also, guys, how we see ourselves. Let's talk about that in our community and not outside of our community. All right, so we got to pass this collection plate around today. You're over here preaching <laughs> on me now, Chris. <laughs> What's going on, brother? All right. Uh, no, because you're bringing up some memories from me. And you, the one thing that just kind of stuck with me was that if I could do it all over again, yeah, that's the one thing that I always go back to. Because I remember it was a guy who got injured in college. So he redshirted, got injured. He had a six-year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. And I remember he's, I was like, hey, man, what you about to do? You know, you got six years and why are you still going to class? And I remember him telling me, I'm about to get a graduate degree. I'm about to get my master's degree. I said, master's degree? Like, what you need all of that for? He was like, yeah. they paying for it. I'm not. And it never right. really dawned on me. And then right. as I got older and I got removed from it, I was right. like, wow, that was genius. Now he's going for his doctorate. Now he's got all of right. these different degrees. And yet here I am as a young guy, I was never educated on understanding the wealth of education that was given to me for free as yes. a student athlete because right. our focus was always on what? Going to the NFL, going to the NBA, going to Major League Baseball. And it took me three years to finally get to where I realized I actually want to be in TV. I actually want to do radio. And so I I bring that up because I thought you brought up a great point of we're not educating the kids early on about what they can be. We're so busy just trying to make sure that they're eligible. Yeah. Yeah. And and guys, here's the thing. Some of us are afraid to change our room. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I've always known. And we're afraid to step outside of our experience. And that's what Villanova did for me. Like, you know, I'm from Houston and I'm from a certain demographic and I love where I'm from. But once I step outside of that, I'm like, wow, uh, why are there no brothers here? Like, okay. And then I moved to California. I'm like, wow, it's very, you know, it's much more open out here, the way people think. And then you start diving into the recruiting part. And, you're, and, you, and again, you just become, desen- you become desensitized, unfortunately, as athletes. And you may be able to test this. First, we become desensitized to what the average person is going through because we're getting treated like royalty. And we don't really understand what's going on until we're not wearing those numbers anymore. I remember the last time they said Chris Walker, the last time they said Chris Walker made a basket at Villanova, I found out what the real world was all about. You know, and I found out I'm just like everybody else. And, but, but again, the elephant in our room is when I sit down and have a conversation and I tell a kid, hey, that's 4,500 uh, kids are going to play college basketball. Only 30 are going to get drafted. And, and only 15 of those are probably going to be Americans. And in the second round, 88% of those don't get drafted. Why are you sitting here talking about the NBA when you're the fourth leading scorer on the team? Where is that narrative coming from? And who's telling them that that's a possible dream when probably getting a grad, a grad degree and becoming a lawyer is much more plausible? Where, who's talking to him? Who's giving him this message? But guess what? If you turn on TV, who do we see? LeBron. Who do we see? Rappers. Who do we see? People that they probably will never be like. So the people that are actually smart people, the people that are actually gone the other way, not that those people are bad people, right. they don't they don't have access to them or think that's something attainable. Or how about, you know, in our community or think that's something that's cool. Now, gotta have that on, now we're about to get into something now. Uh-oh. Yeah, that is on the cover of the book, <laughs> shining the light on the truth. So we might as well do it. It's uh, Chris Walker with us, uh, the author of The Elephant in Our Room, a college basketball analyst for CBS Sports. It's Kurt. It's Jax. <sighs> Sometimes that's the hardest conversation to have. Right. 
What are you doing? What are you prepared for? What have you ventured out into? What is the chicken and the egg organizations reaching into our community to find the best and brightest or the best and brightest finding their way into the world and getting uh, those opportunities? There's 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 a roadblock in both directions, gentlemen. There is. Uh, Let's dive a little bit deeper into this coolness. Now, we, we might get phone calls about talking about the culture out loud. <laughs> it's okay. We might, it's we okay. might have need it, though. It's because needed. we've all been in those spaces where what we are doing, right. most likely positive, most likely, right. most likely diligent, most likely right. uh, things that we know we should be doing, right. is corny. Right. Yeah, you're right. Cool. Sell out. As I ain't, I've got no time for that. Right. Um, that the path is too slow. Right. All of those things are a mentality that's institutionalized. Correct. Has moved down into our space. So I, I rarely blame the individual who's uttering those things. It's been said to them, the, the path of the things that you just talked about have a lightning bolt type yeah. dynamic to them because we don't see how many shots LeBron put up. We didn't see how many tracks Jay-Z had to scrap before he got yeah. to the good stuff. And so with that instant gratification dynamic, that's not uniquely black, but it's a part of our space. Yeah. Uh, it, it's that's coach. That's a hurdle. I don't know. How do, how do we get over that hurdle without catching yeah. our toe on the backside? Jax, you're right. But you know, here's my thing. We have to meet it head on. We can't be afraid. You know, the people yeah. like us that know better, as the good book says, once you're responsible for knowing better, you're responsible for doing better. Mm. And it's not, a, and you think about all of the things I look at being a coach, for a very long time and, and probably 70% of the coaches that got jobs in basketball were African-American. Unbelievable. And it's because of the social injustice that happened. And here's the remnants of it that are falling down and black coaches are, are, are receiving blessings because of it. But my thing is, why does someone have to die for this to happen? You see what I'm saying? So the question is, in our community, you ask me, I'm a part of a, a company, a, a, an organization called ABIS, Advancements for Black in Sports. And, and that's one of those things that we're trying to change the narrative. Well, the narrative doesn't work if the people that are affected aren't interested in, in, in it. I'm sorry, aren't interested in it changing. And so I'm one of those guys. I'm not afraid to take the heat because one thing I know is, guys, I know I'm right. Kirk, you know I'm right. Jax, you know I'm right. And, and again, we're talking about having those uncomfortable conversations, not just with the other cultures. It's really having them with our own selves to sit down and tell someone, hey, to be honest with you, being from the quote unquote hood is great. But in today's world, if you don't have resources, you probably won't make it. I have a study in the book that says that if you're a kid that comes from a household that has a single family, single family household, you have like less likely a chance to make it to the NBA now than before. The NBA mm -hmm. was a culture born out of playing in New York from the hood and being poor. Today, and you know this, Zach, you just mentioned, if you want to play AAU, it costs money. It costs money to buy KDs. It costs money to go on those trips. So a lot of those kids don't go to play seven on seven. They never get so seen. They never get seen. You think Michael Jordan's the only Michael Jordan? I think he's great, but you think he's the only one? Some of those kids, because of gang violence, because of uh, a teacher who thought they couldn't, you know, they couldn't cut it academically, they wouldn't put time into them, and then just cut them out the mix, and they, and all of a sudden they went to the streets. There are a lot of things that affect us, and one thing I'm not afraid to talk about, guys, is that there are things that affect us as blacks that we can't be afraid to attack because they're not going to stop affecting us. And what I what I tell people is. You can complain or you can compete. So you can do whichever you want. I make a choice, complain or compete. But I choose to compete. 
And my thing is, 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 you know, as long as I'm forward facing and I can get 1% better each day, whether that's helping my own people, whether that's helping other people understand our plight, it's important. I'm not afraid of that fight. Others are because they're worried about their jobs. And that's why this is a great platform, because even as I talk with CBS, everything I can't say on CBS, guys, it is yeah. what it is. I'm oh, not yeah. crazy, but everything Obama couldn't do. And everybody, oh, Obama's the worst president. Oh, so you think he can just walk in there and say, let's do reparations, and they're just going to do whatever you... Come on, guys. Come on, Kirk. You're going to walk to Roger Goodell and be like, hey, Roger, I really think that we should get rid of this marijuana rule. What you think? I mean, it don't work like that. People don't understand process. You know, Chris, I think the big thing now, and I think we're all at the age of how do you use it, it's a major right. tool in our world right now. It's about how you use it. Right. And I'm talking about social media. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm at that age where I use it for information. Right. I wake up in the morning, I can get on the Associated Press. I can look right. on NFL News while I was asleep. I can look at different beat reporters and writers. I know what's going on in the country. Now, if there's for, for me to be entertained, I can do that. But I think we're all at that age where we understand what social media means to us. But then I look at the younger generation, and you were going back to similar to what the younger generation are seeing to where they don't have that influence of they, they want to follow the guys who are in the spotlight more so than the guy who's off to the side making money or in, you know, going to school, developing a, a foundation, developing uh, a corporation. They don't see that part because that's not the one that's that's not getting the likes. Right. That's not getting the exposure. How do you handle that part? I mean, how do you see that in, in the young folks and being around them and especially in writing a book? Well, and, and that's one of the things, again, you know, to start the conversation, you know, you can't be afraid to do that. But here's my thing, guys. And I said this before. I hate to use the word. Oh, he's just a regular guy. Kurt Morrison played in NFL. You know how hard it is to make the NFL? Now he's in broadcasting. You know how hard it is for African-American to get in broadcasting or Jacks. I've read his bio to be doing as long as he is. Why can't we think those guys are cool or guys that those guys people should look up to? So the question is, and I'm not, you know, casting any aspersions, is Kurt Morrison, is Jack, are they doing the things they're supposed to do to let people know that there are people out there like them and they're tangible and that's something that you can do and it's something that's possible. So you're right. We got to put ourselves out there. Be like, hey, this is something that you can do. And I tell charity starts at the home, guys, but education does as well. And so what we got to start doing is it's the parents that's got to understand that, hey, I'm not saying I have a chapter called Visions of Grandeur. And, and, it's not, and I don't want to call it dream killing, right? But there has to be some focus, some narrow focus on if you really want to make it in this world, how is education not a part of that? I didn't say you can't be part of the talented 10th, right? Like W. Du Bois and say, let's take the best of us. But we all know that every, all eggs don't hatch on the same day, guys. And when you have poverty in our communities, poverty is a beast. It's the real elephant in our room. Right. It's what stops kids from learning. It's what stops kids from getting opportunities. And again, you can finger point and blame. We have to eradicate poverty or we have to be part of the solution in that regard. If not, we're never going to see our best and brightest because it's the one thing that hampers us all the time. And people just think like, oh, just be like uh, Clarence Thompson. I'm not going to chop anybody up here. Just pull yeah. yourself up by your bootstrap. Oh, you think it's that easy? Oh, we don't need affirmative action. Why do we need the government to help us? Oh, you really think it's that easy? 
You know, <laughs> clearly you've never been in those situations where kids live in a house with 10 people in the house, you know, and, and, and that they can't, they got to go to school and the uncle may be doing something on the other side, you know, uh, for work and the, and the brother may be a drug deal. I mean, a gangster or whatever you want to have it. And then he says, Hey man, you need to go to school and learn. They're like, what? what? I, I got to learn how to survive. And, and, and we have real things in our community. That's what I'm saying. Let's have the conversation because the elephant's in our room. It's not in their room. It's in our room. So if you want something to, to change, it has to change from within. Too, too many times we're looking for the change to come outside in. The change has to come inside out, no matter how hard it is. That's where it starts, in my opinion. And again, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, Jackson, start this thing off. There are because we've had this thing goes in so many different directions mm -hmm. for us. I mean, and again, I bring it back to poverty because because we've we've been devoid of having things. That's the number one thing we focus on is how do I get more of this? But no one's saying and I want to say no one. How do I get more education? How do I get smarter? Because if you look at the smartest, the, pe the richest people in our world, not only the ones that were just you know, willed money, but those people are probably a pretty smart guys. Right. A surgeon, probably pretty smart. A, high, a lawyer, probably pretty smart guy. Uh, and a professor, a pretty smart guy, an engineer, a pretty smart guy. Far more of those than the 450 NBA basketball players. And and, and you would know in, in NFL. And the other thing is, Kirk, I don't think people have enough access to guys like yourself to know what it's like to sit in a locker room and look to your left and look to your right and know that this dude is going to get cut tomorrow and he didn't finish school and he has nowhere else to go with his life and he's not employable. He doesn't have a degree. Or the, next, or the guy next to you who's made a lot of money who's been silly with his money, spent it all, created a lifestyle he can't maintain. He's going to finish playing at 27 and he's going to live till he's 80. So he's going to live longer, right? And that's what happens with wealth as well is that NFL players and NBA players and rappers, what have you, they get all their money on the front end. The way it usually works is you become a CEO, on the CEO and you become a, in a, a situation where you can accumulate wealth on the back end. Right. And now you get it right away and then you spend it all. And now you're 35 and like, well, what can I do with my life? And, and I'm telling you, like for us, we got to re-engineer the brain. And I know, like I said, there'll be some people, Jacks and Kirk, that'll be like, yo, shut up. That's not true. But they know I'm right. And all they got to do is go into the community and spend some time with the kids. And you mentioned before about social media. If I get on social media and I say the, the smartest thing in the world, like unbelievable about wealth, about you know education, about this, about that. I'll probably get seven likes. I get on there and talk about Lil Uzi, Lil Wayne, say something else, <laughs> and I'll get one million. Like, I'm getting, that's the culture that's the that culture, we're in. Yeah, so yeah. how do we change that, guys? I'm asking you guys. That's the elephant in our room. It's right. too much. It's it's too much sizzle and not enough steak. The question is like, forget about the other cultures and how they see us. How do we see us? That's what I'm concerned about. Well, number one, we, we got to keep listening to the old folks. That's what I know. That's what I know. And, Coach, we really appreciate you swinging by. Thank Come back. Guys. These oh, man, I thank you guys. I appreciate you. You can have any time. Uh, it's Chris Walker, CBS basketball analyst. Uh, the book is The Elephant yeah. in Our Room. Do yourself a favor and pick it up. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. Uh, the, the football coaches in uh, the MEAC or the SWAC would like our attention. Uh, there you we'll go. give it to them. Uh, as it pertains to the NFL draft when we return right here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. We're back here on Forward Progress. Kirk, you were good enough to really extend to myself, our producer, Cordell Brown, this, this 
underbelly of concern. And I only say underbelly because it wasn't on the forefront uh, over the four days of the draft. Uh, but there have been coaches uh, expressing fr frustration uh, after no historically black college or university had a player selected in the NFL draft. When I first saw that, my, my, my feeling was, okay, I got to do that thing, right? That, that here's the deal. You've got a real simple dynamic. Teams are trying to draft players who are going to make a difference and try to win. And then you try to line that up with uh, mano y mano. Um, how do we look at players from historically black colleges and universities? And how do we look at the talent pool that comes in from these massive universities that are part of Power Five? To me, that's not the one-to-one -one dynamic. The issue as it pertains to one-to-one -one is that next layer, that Mid-American Conference player, that Conference USA player, how do they line up against historically black colleges and universities? Because those players are being drafted. What's, Kirk, the best way for us to really start to, to analyze that? I think no matter what, we knew that outside of the power five, outside of the group of five teams, and when it comes to the HBCUs, Division twos, all that, it was always more difficult to get to the National Football League. Mm -hmm. That's just the way that it is. I think what this past season, oh, a lot, Jax, it's a lot here. Because I know some coaches are upset, but you got to remember the time that we were in. We were in COVID, pandemic. Mm -hmm. There was no combine. There was no games being played in 2020 for HBCUs. The evaluation period that we talked about earlier in the show with general managers and things like, they couldn't come hear about a guy who runs a 4-2, four, 4-3. Four, their, their season was pushed to the spring, which I had told a lot of guys, I said, man, that hurts the HBCU. Mm. Because they don't have those games where people, they don't have those highlights. They don't have those things that people can draw attention to when the real evaluation peers are coming. There's a reason that when I talk to general managers, Jax, in the NFL, scouts that I know, says, man, we got to go off the tape of the players who we saw play this year. We're going off the tape of the teams that we did see play and the competition that they played against. That's why it was so many like that. My thing is, overall, when we talk about where we're at right now, I think that Deion Sanders, head coach at Jackson State University, was aware of HBCU and the, 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 the love, the pageantry, but he wasn't aware of the work that needs to be done. And I think he got there and has been shocked at, wow, we're a long ways away from where we need to be. Now, he's moving that thing in the right direction mm -hmm. as, in terms of getting the eyeballs, right? In terms of getting attention, getting the notoriety, getting the HBCU back to where it once was as one of the hotbeds of NFL you know, prospects. But this past season was not the year. So now, how do you fix it? And I think that's the next part. How are they fixing it? Because that's what there has to be from now moving forward, Jack. How do they fix this problem? So you had Coach Sanders who said he saw more than enough players in the, in the spring season uh, that were qualified to be drafted. Um, there were a handful of guys, and I'm sure more since, uh, who were signed as free agents immediately after the draft. 
Right. Uh, David Moore out of Grambling, uh, Calvin Ashley out of Florida A&M, uh, Mac McGain out of uh, North Carolina A&T. But this, this feeling, is, it's stinging, right? Like these, these coaches have pride and, and these players have pride. And uh, there was that very first HBCU combine in April, and there were 40 players there. Right. And I think it's hard for coaches, including Coach Sanders, to believe that none of those 40 were worthy of, of pick, uh, you know, 200. What, what was that? 50, what was the, 59, was I believe. 259? Yeah. 259 or higher. And, and that's the one I can empathize with. Yeah. If you put forward the energy and invite 40 players and you make this an initiative because that's a space that's probably under-scouted, under-recruited, um, that there's got to be somebody that comes out of that space. Yeah, no, it, it, it should have been. But I said, again, without the HBCUs having that financial backing mm -hmm. that they needed in order to play in 2020, a lot of NFL evaluators aren't going to stick their neck out for guys who played in 2019 in the HBCU where they're looking at film, that when that owner is staring at them, that general manager, that head coach has said, hey, give me the guy that we need here. Well, I got a tape from 2019 of this guy. I don't know what he's been doing in 2020. I've only seen a couple games so far this spring. That's a difficult pill to swallow. It's tough. So I would say, yes, it's difficult to say that it should have been one, at least two, three. But now I think this is now attention for the HBCUs that this is where we're going now because we don't. This won't happen again. This won't happen again. And right. it comes with the financial backing of hopefully, Jacks, had they have been able to have you know the COVID testing things like that, the protocols in place, that they would have had that you know uh, you know the, the the eyeballs on them in the fall rather than the spring. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, there was a running back from my alma mater, Bowling Green State University. If it wasn't, it had to be free agent signing. Uh, mm -hmm. Because most smaller programs across the board suffered due to yeah. this pandemic. You had seasons canceled, pro days eliminated, All decreased travel for scouts. Um, here's the, here are the numbers. Only five players from the football championship subdivision were chosen. Chosen. That's the lowest since 1993, along with just two players from Division Two and one from Division Three. So I still like this energy. I, I like the fact uh, that the coaches are coming together and saying, you know, I think Deion said it best: "Take your knife out my back, <laughs> fight with me." Right? <laughs> right. So this never happens again. It's tough because you spend all the time competing against each other. But this is a greater issue, a greater issue, Kirk. That 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 has some things in place that can elevate this to make this better. Um, and, and I know we don't all want to lean on the pandemic as a convenient excuse, but I think it has shown it across the board. No, we're not going to lean on the pandemic, but it did make us aware. And we're also making aware that there needs to be more done for the HBCUs. And I think that will happen as we get forward. So it won't be the same in 2022. I'll tell you that. That 2022 NFL draft will be a much different than what we saw in 21. That's going to do it for this edition of Forward Progress. We thank our guests. Chris Walker was special. He's going to come. He's coming back. As I, <laughs> as I bid adieu to Pernell Brown, our producer, make sure you book him again. We, we might have to have a double segment for him next time. <laughs> for real. Uh, that's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time.